welcome everybody. Um, we'll uh, we'll get warmed up a little bit slowly here because I can still see people coming in. Um, my name is Nate Jones. I am CEO and uh, co-founder at Structurally. Uh, Structurally is an artificial intelligence inside sales agent. We help you qualify, nurture, and respond to your leads. Uh, this is our interview with top ISA uh, today. We have Holly from uh, Donna and team Newburn Keller Williams out of North Carolina, as well as the usual Robbie T from Hatch Coaching and Hatch Realty. The uh, usual. That's what I am now. Usual. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so yeah, I'll let you guys kind of introduce yourselves. Robbie, how about we go ahead and start with you? Yeah, uh, good to see you all again. Uh, I'm glad that I made it in this time and know that you can see my face and hear me. Um, we First off, thanks to um, everyone for um, switching over to Zoom. Uh, we switched uh, publishers. We we're just having some other problems. So glad we did that. And this is a lot smoother, I think, and I'm excited about it. Um, <clears throat> Robbie T here. Uh, what do I do? I'm just a nerd, total nerd who likes to geek out about lead conversions, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, throw it at me, we can talk about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm excited today because one of the first, um, you know, when I got into coaching, one of the first teams that I actually helped out with was Holly and Team Newburn. And Holly, that was, what, a over two years ago? When was 2017. that? 2017. 2017, so a while back. And I had the privilege of going out there and meeting them and they run a solid, solid crew up there. Uh, Donna's great. He does have a, a fearless leader, as you all know. Um, and uh, I, I'm really excited for this episode because Holly is not just a rock star, I say, but uh, she's got uh, some cool stories uh, to share with us. And uh, yeah, I'll turn it over to you, Holly. Tell us a little bit about you. Okay, so um, I'm Holly. I live in New Bern, North Carolina, and um, I've been in ISA since August of 2017. Um, and I think Robbie, you came in maybe 30 days after I had started and I was yeah. brand new. I had no clue what I was doing. I was the only ISA, not only on my team, but pretty much within like 200 miles of me. I mean, I, the only other team I think closest to me was, um, the Haro group in mm -hmm. Greenville, South Carolina. So yeah. I really didn't have anybody to shadow or to really talk to. I didn't know all the things I know now as far as like the Facebook groups and all the ways to talk to different people. So I kind of figured this out on my own. Sure. Um, and our team was kind of trying me out as far as do we need an ISA? What is an ISA? What does that look like in New Bern? Mm. Um, we're kind of the last to jump on any bandwagon in the whole world. <laughs> you know, it feels like we're kind of on our own little island sometimes. Um, but it was pretty cool to, to become that person and to kind of pave the way in my own way. Um, so that was, that was the way I got started. I came from timeshare sales, actually. Um, I sold timeshare for four years prior to that. And I think that's really what gave me the grit that I have to be the ISA. Um, cause if you could sell timeshare, as far as I'm concerned, you can sell anything. Um, True. that is a, that is a tough business. Uh, but when you're 24, you don't really care. You're just like, whatever, give me the role and I'll do it. Um, Love it. So that's where I started. And uh, now, almost two years later, I've moved into the director of Legion position for my team uh, recently in January. And we have just hired our other ISA. So now I'm coaching a little bit and helping him work through that. And so I'm slowly building my own team within my team. Sure. So, pretty cool. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about the, the team in general. Um, so is it, uh, how many buyers, seller agents, um, is it just the one ISA right now? Uh, and kind of just a little bit, uh, about, um, your stats as when you were, you know, practicing it as an ISA as well. Okay. So we are a team of 19. Um, we have two buyer agents currently. We are looking for a few more of those. Uh, we have four listing agents. We have two ISAs. Um, one of those being new starting in April, and then me as a hybrid. Um, we have one director of sales. We also have one listing manager, and she has an assistant. Mm. We have three admin, um, and then we have three field care who run our signs and do all the day-to-day kind of, you know, mm. that stuff there. Those people are so important. 
they save us so much time. Um, and then we have a, a director of sales as well. So we have our rainmaker. Uh, so we're a pretty large team for our area, for sure. We're the largest team in the area. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I would say that when I was, let's say last year, um, as the full-time, that was my role. That's exactly what I did every single day. Um, mm-hmm. I had 108 closings. So I, would, I count my first three months as an ISA kind of like in 2017. I don't really count those. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I roll all of that into uh, 2018 mm-hmm. uh, when I was really digging in. And so I had 108 closings. Don't, don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing or if I was hitting the mark or not. I was just happy with it just sure. to have a closing. <laughs> sure. um, so that was me uh, to date from January to now. I've made about 8,000 dials. Um, and I have about 3000 contacts and I've set 150 appointments so far. Um, that's just being kind of hybrid and part-time. Um, and I've had 42 closings years to date, year to date. Cool. So pretty proud. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what, what's the total number of deals that, that your team is roughly going to do give or take this year, Holly, what's your team looking at? 500 like? is our goal. 500 is goal. Are you guys trending pretty close to that? Do you think? Yes. Definitely. Uh, we were 418 closings last year. That's how many families we helped. Um, and and I think that we're going to exceed our goal. Our fourth quarter is our strongest. Um, and so I think that we are definitely going to exceed our goals this year. I love it. And, uh, how many people are in the Newburn area? How many, what's the total population just so we can give perspective here? Our population for all of Craven County is, uh, roughly about I'd say 102,000. 102,000. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that's, uh, that's one of the, the biggest things I hope people take away when, when we're talking with you is um, if you're in New Bern, like your team is the, you guys have built a cornerstone in real estate. Is that fair to say? Yes. Um, do you know like your market share percentage uh, roughly by chance? We are on either side of the transaction or both sides of the transaction at about one out of, I believe it's one out of two now. Uh, so we're about, <laughs> we're about uh, 40%, 50%. We're up there. Um, sure. Keller Williams as a whole yeah. um, is most of the market share. And then of course we've got our, our boutique shops and whatnot. Um, but, Keller Williams is probably the largest in Craven County, along with our surrounding communities as well. I love it. Nate, go ahead. I, I asked a few questions. Your turn. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, and I hope, uh, I hope that uh, kind of sets the stage for uh, why we have you on as a top ISA. True. Uh, <laughs> does. Uh, so can you tell us just a little bit about like when, you know, when you got started, which wasn't you know, too long ago, what uh, what was that like for you? What was you know what was difficult for a new ISA just getting thrown in the fire? Um, just kind of set the stage for what you might have done differently. Mm. Uh, you know, now looking back, uh, that you could potentially teach to you know the new ISA that you're training, and that other um, people in a similar role as you or a team leader could uh, learn from when they're bringing on a new ISA. Mm. I would have taken back to, to 2017. I actually was recruited for about four months before I actually decided to, to take the risk. Um, and, I, and I call it a risk because I had no real data on what this position even was. I had no clue what it was. I couldn't really Google it. There was like, it was so new. No one really knew what it was um, and what it meant for Newburn or real estate in general. Even though I was licensed as an agent, I had never practiced real estate. Mm. Um, And at that time, I had actually not even bought a house yet. So Mm. I had no real baseline on what real estate even meant. And in my brain, I was thinking the typical, well, I don't want to sell houses and I don't want to do that. Um, That doesn't sound promising. And so for, I have a really good friend on this team, Meredith, who recruited me and was just relentless. I can't tell you how many interviews she set up for me that were like blindsided interviews. I had no clue that they were even happening. Um, (laughs) She was relentless and she still is. So 
she's a recruiting queen. Um, and then I finally made the jump. It was right after my daughter's birthday. And I was sitting in, I remember I was sitting in my timeshare office and we were doing our daily check-ins and I, it's just one of those things where you just knew like you were not in the right spot for some mm-hmm. reason. And prior to timeshare, I was actually a bartender. And so I went from bartending to timeshare and that was my first real job. Mm-hmm. And I was scared to leave it because I was like, this is where I, I don't know. I've been here for four years. This is what I'm used to. I was scared of new. I didn't want any changes. I hate change. And so that was not me. Um, but I was sitting there and I was like, this is something's not right. I don't know what it is. And I literally just quit my job. I said, I'm done. And um, then I joined Team Newburn that following Monday and uh, had no clue what was going on, really. Just walked in and I was like, here I am. I don't know what to do, but here I am. <laughs> um, and so I took a very big risk and we had actually closed on our house like two weeks prior. So not only did I take on a mortgage, but I took on this risky job that no one could give me information on, but I knew I was going to make it work. Um, cause I believed in what they were telling me <clears throat> that I knew it could happen. Mm. Um, I just didn't know how, and I didn't know when it was going to happen. And, um, I actually remember meeting with you, Robbie, and I was like 30 days in and I was like, when am I going to get a closing? When can I expect all this stuff? When's it going to rain money? And um, I remember you telling me to be patient and it would take maybe six months or so to get ramped up. And I remember saying, not going to happen, not happening. I need a closing. And I remember closing my first one in October. So I made it 60 days because, I mean, I had a daughter, I had a mortgage, I had a family to take care of. And so that wasn't happening for me. But um, what was really neat, and we laugh about this all the time on my team because no one knew who I was or what I was doing or why I was there. And I didn't either. Um, I remember coming into work and I had this corner in the back of the office, literally like just this little box in the back of the office. And I had my computer and a phone. And I was just like, I don't know what to do or who to talk to. Or what? But I know I knew, I knew how to find leads, sure. and I knew how to get something. And all I knew at that moment was I need to find a body, and I need to put it in front of an agent. Mm-hmm. And that's all I knew what to do. So I said, "Well, here we go." And luckily, Donna has a database that was massive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a big, hairy database that wasn't quite maintained. It was just leads, all these leads just coming in. And I didn't understand them at that time. So I just kind of started a square one calling because in timeshare, I learned, we learned how to cold call mm-hmm. and we cold called all over the world. So I had dealings with people who were being ugly or they were very nice mm-hmm. and timeshare. Oh, no one wants to own it, but everyone owns it. So um you know trying to call those guys and that really set the stage for me and I didn't care about a no um it didn't bother me that really that job paved all that for me so at least I was past that I wasn't scared of the phone um so I think that that my biggest success was not being scared of the phone um even if I didn't know what the conversation was going to be didn't know what the end result was going to be didn't even know why I was calling them all I needed was for them to say hello just pick it up and then I'll (laughs) figure it out from there um my biggest mistake (laughs) (laughs) I was two weeks into this and um I got a call from a co-broke and uh, you're not allowed to call listings here if they're listed I didn't know that quite fully I kind of knew it, but I didn't understand it. And so I was just calling anybody and everybody. I was like, (laughs) I'm here to sell your house. (laughs) Well, this lady's house was already, uh, it was already on the market and that shot me down. I like backed into a corner and I kind of didn't want to call anybody for a week. I was mainly embarrassed. My ego was hurt. I was like, yeah, she wasn't nice to me at all either. So I was like, Oh, I don't want to call another person. I'm scared now. I went really shy, but I got over it quickly. I mean, cause I had bills to pay and mouse to feed. So it was move on. Right. Sure. Um, but that was my biggest, I'd say struggle at first was <clears throat> not knowing the rules and how to play the game. Sure. Just kind of going in too quickly, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say for future hires and things like that, if they're new in the real estate world, 
make sure that they know the like and really know them because yeah. uh, we tend to talk in like this is how we do it and this is why we do it but mm-hmm. it's not black and white it never will be not not in real estate anyways sure. um and there's loopholes for everything and so i think as long as those lines are laid out mm-hmm. then any agent or isa coming into this role can prospect and call <clears throat> and do everything as long as they don't run into that because sure. that can get you in you know, real estate jail. <laughs> you can get in trouble. <laughs> real estate jail. Holly, I've run down like four quotes of yours. First off, no timeshares. No one wants it, but everyone owns it. Made me die. Um, I, I got to ask this. Obviously, you said the timeshare experience laid the foundation for, for you getting into this role. Um, let's say hypothetically you would have went from being bartender to going straight into this role. Do you think you would have had the success? Do you think you'd still be in the role you're currently in if you would have done that? Or do you think that getting kicked in the face, I'm assuming in the timeshare role really toughened you up or or give me some insight there. How would that have changed things if, if that foundation wouldn't have been laid? I would say, um, bartending, helped me with the social piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it did not help me with the introverted side of me uh, sure. or the, the grit to pick up the phone. Yeah. Cause uh, believe it or not, bartenders, most of them, they don't really want to talk to people. It's so <sighs> weird. Um, <laughs> it's the strangest things. Cause you know, I don't really like face-to-face interaction too much. Sure. Um, lately in uh, bartending, that's where you are. But the cool thing about bartending is the hustle bustle. I was in a busy bar, so I didn't really have to talk. I just kind of, I watched body language and I knew what you needed based off of what beer you were holding in the air, you know, that type of thing. So um, then to move into timeshare, I I think that that, the timeshare piece really laid the actual foundation of what's needed for this position. Yeah. Um, As far as the grit to stay on the phone, to, to realize that the no's aren't about me. It's sure. about them. Um, it really, it just means not, not, not right now. It doesn't mean not forever. Yeah. So we all know they're going to, they're going to do something at some point eventually, mm-hmm. whether it be now or a hundred years from now, they're doing something. Sure. Um, and so once I got past that, that, that really helped. Um, and I'm sure I think helped me with that because you hear no, no, no all day long. And I actually figured out the art. Uh, I call it the art. Um, the art of, I don't want to call it uh, smooching or whatnot, but <laughs> the art of getting what you want without directly asking for it. Sure. Um, I learned that in timeshare mm. um, because I've never, I don't know if y'all have been, ever been to a timeshare resort where they ask you to go to, to the, the, the seminars and the fun stuff and all that. Oh, yeah. uh, we, didn't, we didn't quite roll like that where I worked. Um, however, you did need to come to a meeting. And so I figured out a way I like, I basically investigated how other people did it. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't do it like that. Sure. I did it differently. Um, and so I learned what not to do based mm-hmm. off of people's stories they were telling me. And that's kind of how I do it here too, as well. Um, Cause I already know how every other agent's doing it. You know, they're, <clears throat> they're just calling, Hey, how can I help you find your house? Yeah. And, so when you call as a person who's actually interested and in trying to figure them out and really mm-hmm. caring about what they're doing and why they're doing it, um, that's really where the game changed. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's where Timeshare really laid it out. And I needed a real estate license to sell Timeshare, so I would have never gotten that as a bartender because cool. um, I never had an interest in it, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why it paved the way for me. So really the, the grit was the, one of the biggest pieces and the license really helped with that foundation. Yeah. Is there any way, um, because I, I think you're getting at a couple things that are super key here that, uh, you know, you've been successful because you can tell that you were hungry, right? You mentioned numerous times you had bills to pay, mouths to feed, mm-hmm. um, and that grit pushes you through it. And, People that are listening to this, a lot of them are rainmakers that are thinking about building an ISA department. Some are ISAs that are in the game. Um, and the biggest thing, and I agree with you, is you've got to have grit in this role because you're going to get told no all the dang time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Is there any way, Holly, that you would say these are things you can go and do to maybe strengthen that resolve, build that grit a little bit? Um, because not everyone's going to be fortunate enough to work in timeshare or unfortunate enough, depending on how you're looking at it. Right. But, <laughs> um, how do you, you know, if you were to kind of give some advice on, on how you can maybe become a little more gritty, how would you do that? Can I tack a question on there too? Where did yeah. you, where did you source your, your new ISA as well? Mm-hmm. Where did he come from and how are you building that grit into him or did he come with that? So our new ISA actually um, went to law school and that was his track. And uh, yeah. And then he moved back to the area. He's from New Bern um, or from the County over and uh, a listing agent on our team actually knew his father. And um, she said, Hey, I think you should come in. We weren't interviewing for an ISA at all actually until we found out that I was going to be having a baby in September. So I was kind of like, okay, it's either now or never. We need to build a team for sure now. Um, and he has drive. Um, he's hungry, humble, and smart. And so mm-hmm. he has a big why that's big enough that makes him show up every single day and pick up the phone. And he actually, in his past, did uh, census calling, which sounds horrible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I've gotten those in the mail like five times and I just trash them. I just that's probably like the worst citizen thing to do, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, and that's what he did. He actually door knocked and um, it was a piece. Mm-hmm. I saw a piece to that when I found out that he liked to door knock. I was like, I hate that. That's not me. I don't want to do that at all. Sure. You're the missing piece to my puzzle. And um, I need, I need you. And so he's hungry and he's humble and he's smart. And those are, I think are the three things that you have to have not only in the ISA role, but any, any role. I mean, you've got to find out why are they showing up to work? Because I mean, let's be honest, we could go to work anywhere, right? Like mm-hmm. we could just go wherever we want, but why do you come to this office? Um, and why do you do this position? Mm-hmm. And if you don't find somebody who is passionate to find a passion, mm-hmm. then it, it's, it's hard to put that. Otherwise you're going to find that person who just shows up. Because you have to, not because they want to. Um, and so with, with him, we were lucky and fortunate enough to find that he has some passion um, yeah. and he has a why. Yeah. That was pretty, pretty important. You've got to have those things. But I would say if you find somebody who has one of those pieces yeah. um, to build it, you've got to figure out why are they doing what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Maybe take the position out of it. I know one of the first things that, um, my director of operations did with me that I thought was really strange, but looking back at it now, I'm like, that was actually really cool why she did this. She sat me down and she did career visioning with me and um, she took the job out of it completely out of our conversation. And she did four different categories and she was like, you know, where do you see yourself in one year, Mm -hmm. five years? What's important to you? Why do you need the money that you want to make to do this? And, Because really, I mean, you think about it, most people just say, well, I need money so I can live and eat and pay my bills, right? Mm -hmm. But we all want to live a bigger life than that. And Mm -hmm. so she really dug into the whole like (laughs) fantasy, Holly, like the things that you think about, but you kind of put them on the back burner because you've got the light bill due or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, She really dug into those things. And if she saw me slacking at any point or if she saw that I was down, she would kind of bring those things back up. Sure. And say, you know, hey, Holly, I thought you really wanted Zoe to go to a private school or I thought you wanted to pay for her college so she didn't have to work in college like you did. And she really hit those pain points. And you're sure. like, oh, why did she say that? Um, so it's important to find out those things. <clears throat> and then that will drive them. Were there some times where... Um she brought those up to you that maybe it kind of irked you a little bit, Holly, where you're like, you knew you were falling a little bit short and now she's bringing that back up and it's granted your ideas and things that motivate you. Were you kind of frustrated all about that? Give give us some insight there. Yeah. um, I'd be, I'd feel a little sassy about that. Um, I would just kind of be like, how dare you bring that up? You know, Uh But, but internally knowing like, 
it's just a feeling. You're like, oh, she's right. Oh, and I don't want her to say something else in front of anybody <laughs> else. So let me get back into what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, or she'd say things like, you know, I'm going to hit my goals to do what I want to do and to make my dreams happen. Are you? And I'd be like, oh, cannot believe you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of a joke that we do around here. And we kind of say those things to each other just to kind of help build, you know, build people up when you're squirreling. Because let's be honest. I mean, in this role as an ISA, God, it's so easy to squirrel. You want to go down a rabbit hole sometimes so fast and not come back until tomorrow, you know? And um, I think it's those days where that's important to have that accountability piece. Sure. And to set, you got to set the stage, you know, from the beginning, she, from the beginning told me, I will bring these things up to you if that's okay. Yeah. And naturally you're like, okay, like you don't really know what to expect. Um, but as long as you have that agreement piece in place, then it's kind of free game to, to remind your people of why they're doing what they're doing. Cause they may forget. I forget all the time sometimes, you know, of why I show up, but with that little piece. Sure. I'm reminded. <laughs> are you thankful now upon reflection of it? Are you glad that she took that approach to remind you of what's important? Although it kind of brought a little bit of sassy Holly out once in a while. hundred percent. I, I still, I still like it. She does it to me still all the time. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it really helps and it, it proves that she cares. I mean, honestly, because it'd be so easy for her to just focus on her own goals. Like, why does she care so much about mine? Um, and I think that's one really cool piece about this team is we care so much about each other. And it's just kind of built into our culture and our nature uh-huh. that we're constantly doing that to each other. And it's expected and it's, it's respected, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I really like it. I love that. Could you share some of the specifics on, um, like, your when, when you know you're squirreling, you know, when, when do you get those, those messages from your, your team leader? What, uh, I think we talk about this in, with a lot of the ISAs, what are your standards for appointments set, um, contacts made? Do you have those? How does, how does your team leader know when to, you know, kind of try and motivate you? Yeah. So we have a sales meeting every um, Thursday and our ISAs sit in with our listing agents and our buyer agents. And um, we have our CGI boards and uh, each agent goes around and they say, I've gone on this amount of appointments. Um, I've had this many closings, this many agreements, and these are my goals. Um, and they also share their profit, which is kind of uncomfortable. No one wants to really put that out there sometimes. And um, I think it's important that we do that. Sure. Um, but and our ISA team sits in there so that way we can see, okay, who needs what? And maybe why are they not hitting their goals? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe did they take a vacation or maybe um, did they not show up to Legion or, you know, th- those types of things. So that way we can work through it as a team and individually in one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but our standards for my ISA team, we are still building this, um, but we are working towards being 75% of the team goal. Um, since now there is two of us sure. and um, with one I did, I think I was 25% of all of the closings last year. Mm-hmm. So I figured if we add another one, there's, there's no reason why we can at least be 50%, but let's push it and let's be 75% because we would like to be extra. So <laughs> we'll just be extra. Um, so we have a, um, an agreement that the listing or the ISA team will bring in 23 listings a month and 23 or 33 listings a month and 23 buyers a month. Mm -hmm. Um, and that we've just initiated this too. So we haven't really got any statistics on it yet, Cool. Um, but yeah, so we're here to support the agents and, um, how we get, how we get there is by going in those one-on-ones on Thursdays or the team meeting on Thursday to, to figure out who's where and why. That's awesome. <laughs> I was just posting that in there. That's, that's really cool. It's, it's a little bit different than kind of what we've heard uh, from other ISAs is you kind of let your, your agents set the goals mm-hmm. uh, and then kind of work, work, uh, work with them to achieve them. So I, I yeah. think a really interesting way to do it. When we do that, because we have our, our team goal, mm-hmm. but we get our team goal by looking at our agent goals. 
mm-hmm. because they're the soldiers, they're the boots on the ground, right? And if our goals don't line up with their goals, mm-hmm. then no one's ever going to hit their goals. Mm-hmm. And we're going to constantly feel like we're struggling <clears throat> or we're not doing something right or we're going to be chasing something that's not achievable. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to plug and play. You got to find out what your agent's goals are to see if that even supports the team goal. Because if it doesn't, then if you try to push the agents too much to hit a goal that they're not interested in, in reaching, you're not going to have success like that. Um, you, you can't, you know, you, you can't influence them unless you find out what they're influenced by. And mm-hmm. if they're not influenced by their goals, then you can't teach them or want them to reach a goal that they don't want to reach. Um, and so that allows you all also to, to see who you need to hire. Do you need to plug into something else? Do you need to find a new position, more agents? Um, so I think it's important to take the agent goal and then plug into that. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So what do you think, what, what does an ISA need to do every day to meet those goals, to be successful? Is it a certain number of dials? Is it, you know, prospecting? Is it just updating the CRM? What is, what is success look like? On a I'd day? say it's all, all of that, all of the above, um, this little piece of each. And um, with my ISA and I, uh, we have our favorites and we have our not favorites. He's more of the, um, we call it kind of hunting and gathering. Mm-hmm. We're both hunters. Um, I prefer to cold call. I don't really um, like to talk to people that I know, which is off. It's very different. I don't know why I'm like that, but I love to get a list of people I don't know and just power through it. So I cold call, I circle prospect. That's my favorite thing to do. So I think it's important to do what you love. Um, And if you have success in that, then do that. Um, We have a database of over 18,000 people. Uh, We use Boomtown. And so we're constantly answering messages and calling and doing that type of thing. So we kind of have to structure our day to where we're supporting all things, but we do our favorite things when we're our best. Mm. He's better in the morning. I'm a better person in the afternoon. Mm. Um, So we kind of flip-flop it and we plug into our own strengths. Uh, We're doing the same activities throughout the whole day, just at Mm. different times. So I think that it's important to to do all of those things. And then we update at the end of the day. Um, I don't focus as much on updating just because that's not a uh, dollar productive activity to me. Um, The tracking and all of that stuff, we get it done. However, if you're Mm -hmm. prospecting and you're having great success and it's 530 and you need to, and it's time to go, Mm -hmm. we'll update it tomorrow. Uh, But I do think it's important to track it and and update it and stuff like that. But um, plug into your things that are your strengths. Mm -hmm. Mm. I I love, I think that's one of the biggest things we need to reemphasize. And and you said it, do what you love and lean into that. Uh, We we were on a mastermind and uh, um, Jay uh, with Wise Hire, who I think is one of the most brilliant people in the hiring game, talks about how he did a study um, among, what was it? Nate, do you remember 150,000 employees or some crazy number, a lot of people. And there was two things that led to um, employees being productive. And one was self-awareness and knowing what you're good at, what you love is so key. And another was was an authenticity, Nate, Mm -hmm. self-awareness and authenticity. So not just knowing who you are, but finding what you love and doing more of that. And really what that means is if you really dislike something, do less of it, uh, which is really funny because I think my parents were raised on the whole dogma of fix your weakness, fix your weakness. And mm-hmm. now we're seeing all the social research, strength finder 2.0 saying, no, 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 no. Do your best to lean into what you love because it gives you more energy and manage around what you dislike. Um, and what you don't want to do. So I love that, that you, you brought that up and it was just kind of a, a mental trigger and connected to what Jay was saying. That That's so key. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. Um, I, I don't want to just completely switch gears here, but I, I really want to try and dive into the, the story you were telling us beforehand. <laughs> yes. uh, I don't really know how to, to ask how to get into it. Can you just... <laughs> Can you retell, uh, retell the, the listeners kind of about your experience with the, uh, the hurricane? 
Okay. Uh, so we had our Hurricane Florence. It hit us directly mm-hmm. um, on, I believe it was September 12th. Mm-hmm. And um, all of New Bern, Craven County, I mean, our surrounding areas were completely, you know, gone or not, not gone, but underwater. I mean, it was kind of, it was panicky. It was very bad. Um, and some left and some stayed. I, for the first time in 30 years of my entire life was scared of a hurricane and I left. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I went to, uh, Georgia, Ella J Georgia, which is a long ways away on top of a mountain in nowhere. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I remember half of my family stayed back and I remember thinking, Mm. literally thinking we had a meeting that morning at our office um, or the, uh, maybe a day or so prior. We were taping up windows, moving desks. I was preparing for like total disaster. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what I was preparing for. It was kind of one of those moments where you kind of grab everything and you don't know why you're grabbing it and you just kind of do it anyways. Um, and I remember packing up my house and packing up, really it was just packing like a suitcase, like clothes, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, what about this? Like, what about that? Do, do I need a U-Haul truck? Like, is this going to be here when I get back? And I have a, she was five at the time and this was her first hurricane. Mm-hmm. And so trying to be a mom and remain calm, but also wanting to pack everything, including the kitchen sink, you're like, you know, you're spinning and you don't know what to do. You just spin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we packed up and we left. Mm-hmm. And we went to LJ, some friends and I, and our whole house, all of our kids, seven kids, by the way, under the age of five. <sighs> that was a nightmare, but we were fine. We were dry. We had two big dogs with us. It was fine. <laughs> and um, we were gone for, I think, five days. We were gone for a while, um, or it felt like a while. But while I was there, and this is what's really cool, and I want everyone to understand about New Bern um, mm-hmm. and Craven County as a whole, and just our general area. Because I know CNN and I know the Weather Channel and all these other places, they they projected that we were completely tsunamied off the map um, mm-hmm. and that there was nothing left and, you know, that there was this crisis, which there was, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't like that, um, mm-hmm. the way that they portrayed it. Um, the way that we bounced back, mm-hmm. I've never seen before. And um, so while I was in Georgia, um, Facebook works during hurricane in case no one knew that. Don't know why it does, but it does. Um, everything else can go south, but Facebook works. So thank you, Mark. Yes. Thank you, Mark, for that. I don't know why it works, but it's great. And so I remember sitting on, and if you've never sat somewhere else and watched your hometown just be, I mean, it was, I can't even explain what that feeling feels like. Right. Um, and you, you can't help. You, you just sit there and you're just waiting. And you don't know if your family is alive, not alive. You don't know what's happening. You don't, you don't know. But um, I remember sitting there in Facebook. I was on Facebook and all these people, on we have all these yard sale sites and things like that. Mm-hmm. All these people kept posting help or I'm at this address. The water's filling up to the roof. I'm in the attic and by the way, if you're ever in that situation, the attic is the worst place to go because there's no way out if water is flooding. So you have to, that's, a, you, you'll drown unless you get out. Um, and so I remember that and people were saying we're on the roof, we're outside, we're on the roof, posting how many people they had, how many kids, dogs, whatever, whatever the case was. And I remember seeing a post from the Cajun army from New Orleans mm-hmm. um, and they traveled to these different locations to help people out. And um, they bring their John boats and their big trucks and their stuff that they need to work through these situations. And Mm. they posted phone numbers. And I remember sitting there thinking, if I can't help anybody physically, then I can do something. So Mm. I remember sitting there calling and trying to coordinate with these people and getting people rescued. Mm. And, um, that was just like the craziest thing. So I, I guess my natural ISA took over and was like, you know what? I know how to connect. And so I can be triaged for anybody. So what can I do? Sure. Um, and so that was really cool to do that. And even when we came back, 
there was, it was really difficult to get back because roads were closed. Waters were still everywhere. Roads were messed up and whatever. So we used Waze, mm-hmm. which thank you, Waze, um, or Waze, Waze, whatever it's called. Um, sure. They got us back. And I remember I went to a Walmart, I think it was in Greenville, like 45 to an hour away from us. And I just got stuff for strangers, people I didn't even know. Um, you know, cause there's no water, no gas, no food. There's nothing. And we're about a week out at this point. Sure. Um, or maybe a few days. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool to be able to use that scenario to still help and connect people, mm. um, to what they needed. Mm. And so when we got back, Keller Williams, actually, it was, this is like my first year with the company. Right. So I didn't know any of these things. And I come home and there's these huge trucks, like Mack trucks. Mm-hmm. full of paper towels and shovels and all these things. And literally our entire company of like 270 agents are there with their boots on and their own houses are flooded. Yeah. Their own stuff is messed up. And we are out in the community, snakes and all, we didn't care, dirt, mud. I mean, the river is gross at the bottom. If y'all have never seen it, it's gross. Um, it is muddy and it is nasty. And when it goes in a house... There, you, there's no mopping that. Like you need more than a Swiffer for that. You need more than a pressure washer for that. It's bad. Um, so the com- the whole community just came together. We mucked out houses. We knocked out drywall. I became an electrician. A, you know, whatever. I was like a construction girl. I just, you just do it. You have to just get through it. And I think that was the most important piece for us and for our community. Sure. Is uh, I don't know if it's a uh, a Southern thing <clears throat> or if it's a way um, that we are just built here or what it is. Um, but when things like that happen or bad things happen to people, mm-hmm. regardless of what could happen or what's going to happen next, you kind of mm-hmm. have to deal with what's already happened and you move on mm-hmm. and you, you pull your pants up and you get to work yeah. and you just do your best to make it what it is. And so I think that's kind of what helped us. Um, three months after that, after we've mucked out houses and people are still displaced and whatnot, uh, Christmas hit. And that was very tough for many families. Of course, you know, naturally their people are out of jobs. Their houses are a mess. You've got families who have young kids who don't understand. And they're just feeling, not only are they feeling the loss of their, their stuff, but now they're feeling the pressure of trying to make it as normal as they can for their little ones or their families. And so our town has uh, this really cool thing that they do every December and they put the Santa house downtown in the middle and they light up the streets and it really looks like the little village people that you put like your grandma has on the thing with all the fake snow. Um, It looks identical to that. Mm. And they did that this year, this past year. And that was the coolest thing because it was normal. Mm-hmm. That was, everybody was trying to find their new normal, right? And to have that happen, that was the one consistent thing that happens every single year. That was kind of like the, the breathing moment of, you know what? We're fine. Everything's <laughs> fine. Mm-hmm. We're on our way. Yeah. Um, and so that was pretty much all of that. <laughs> I could talk for hours about it. <laughs> well, I, I love it because you, you hit on a lot of things. First off, that this is one of my favorite things about KW is is the whole KW care stuff they do. And um, to give KW some major credit, um, you saw not just in communities like yours, but also after Houston, KW mm-hmm. stepped up really big. Um, and if anything, I, I think what this shows is you, you brought it up that that in these type of moments when these things happen, because they, they do all around the country, the world, and especially here in the United States, the media is there to show the, the, the destruction. Um, and you see it. Um, and what they don't go back and show is two, three months later when y'all have stepped up to rebuild um, and nobody's mm-hmm. seeing that. And I think that's, you know, maybe something that is, you know, it stinks that it has to happen, but, when you see stuff like this happen, you see human resilience come out and you, you're a testament of that. And you see people doing things you never thought was possible. Holly became an electrician. And frankly, you were saving lives as an ISA between the people on Facebook and uh, 
the Cajun army. You were literally connecting dots. And I think what, what these type of things show is we think because the media is showing the world's coming to an end, like utter destruction. And I, I asked Holly the question, when did things hit normal? And I think you had said it took about three months and then things started to get normal again. And what's cool about it is when these things happen, and no doubt there's, there's damage and it's not fun, but human beings bounce back. And I know that happened, that has happened here twice in the last few years in, in the North Dakota area where two towns were decimated by floods through rivers due to the overland flooding when uh, there was so much snow melt. And it's crazy to see the communities bounce back um, and rebuild. So it's one of the yeah. cool things in this type of stuff. And it's your testament to that. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, definitely want to wrap up with the, uh, the, the favorite part of Robbie's, the, uh, the nerd <laughs> stuff. So I, I'll let Robbie ask his question first. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Yeah, I yeah, love it. So I, I always like to end, um, and, and you don't have to fall into the box, but I always end, uh, uh, Holly, would you prefer Star Wars or Game of Thrones or to those that aren't nerdy and falling into one of those, something else? So, you know, what is your nerdy thing? Do you like Star Wars, <laughs> Game of Thrones, or something else? Well, I have to be honest. I've never watched Game of Thrones. I've never... <laughs> Why, people? Why? I tell you, I don't want to do anything that everyone else is doing. <laughs> I think I can't, I can't debate that, actually. That's valid. Good call. Um, <laughs> so, honestly, it's because I also have a, a, a five-year-old still, and uh, she'll be six in August. But yeah, by don't, the time don't, I, don't, don't watch Game of Thrones around her. Don't do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> by the time I'm done, you know, with all that stuff, mm. The last thing I can do is focus on something else. And, sure. and so, um, but when I do like to geek out or whatnot, um, yeah. I did watch the entire season of uh, Weeds. I love that. Yeah. That Nancy really Botwin, right? Or Nancy. Love her. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy Botwin. Um, and uh, Scandal. I, I don't know why they don't bring another season. I'm addicted <laughs> to Scandal. That is my jam right there. Um, Nancy Botwin and Olivia Pope, baby. Yes. Those. <laughs> I will be those two people at some point yeah. in my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know why I like those things. I think it's the, I've always been interested in uh, the, the kind of like mind game shows. Mm, not sure. the, not the scary ones. Like the, what's the little guy on the bicycle with the oh. circles. <laughs> yeah. So, like none of that. No, <laughs> um, not those kind of games. I like the Olivia Pope games where she kind of, her conversations, like, you know, get what you want without directly asking for it. Um, those are fun. So that's why I like those. <laughs> and, I, you know, I mix it up with some Disney movies and some JoJo Siwa. <laughs> that's a good answer. I love it. Cool. Yeah. So. The, my, my question um, is, do you have any book recommendations? Well, uh, so when I do read books, that sounds so bad, but I don't read them a lot at all. I I listen, sometimes <laughs> I listen to them. Um, right now I'm listening to uh, Rachel. Um, I don't remember Hollis? Her right now. Rachel, Rachel Hollis. Hollis. Yes. Um, I'm listening to Girl Stop Apologizing. And I liked uh, Girl, Wash Your Face. I like to listen to Ch Chelsea Handler. She's just like my the tra <laughs> the trash podcast that I get in every now and then. Um, sure. I like those a lot. Uh, but I, I think that when I read The One Thing, that mm. one was a really um, more internal kind of book. Great book. Uh, yeah. But I really like to read books that are, are more like Rachel Hollis, where they're just kind of like, you know what? Move on. Who cares? Um, cause we all need that reminder sometimes. Cause especially as an ISA, you hear no, like 50 times a day. <laughs> and it's just, when you read those kind the, the kind of books that those are, um, they really just tell you, move on. It's not about you. Who cares? Keep going and call them back tomorrow. Cause they might say yes. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> they probably changed their mind. You never know. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I do like, uh, like those types of books. The seven habits, I've actually, I'm looking at this uh, thing by Hannah. 
Um, I started that one. That one's good so far. I think I'm on page like 13. So I'm still new at that one. Um, I love it. Yeah. So I like those kind of books. Well, yeah, those are great. Um, yeah, it's cool to see uh, Hannah posting in there too. So those are great too. Um, well, I appreciate it. Uh, Robbie, did you have anything else to add? Well, I, I want to do a, a little pitch for a book I recently read. And the, the I'm telling you the um, label of this book is the most misleading thing. And it sounds like a snooze fest, um, but it is the best book I've probably read this year. And it's called Measure What Matters by John Doer. Doer. And basically, um, just for a number, John's worth $7 billion. Uh, he is the guy who helped guide investments into name a big company, and he was in it. Um, again, measure what matters. It sounds like a snooze fest, but long story short, he, he, he talks all about how um, Google and well as Intel have, have found ways to measure what matters. Um, but what's really great is he tells a you know a principle and then they go and go with the stories of real life applications and we're not talking about people with you know small companies doing five million a year now the, the people that wrote excerpts for this were Bill Gates um, one of the um, people at Google um, so some of the biggest names that have had some of the biggest success in the world um, this is a killer book so get out there and read it measure what matters by John Dewar Doer that guy measure what matters measure what matters i'm telling you it's good it's really good awesome well uh i appreciate uh both of your guys time so that's what you're known as now um holly i uh i appreciate hearing all your stories it was yeah anytime cool well this uh izzy i don't know if this is gonna go out new platform so we're still learning uh (laughs) You're going to get a copy of this webinar shortly. It will be available on our YouTube page. Just find Structurally. Uh, We'll likely be sending it out to you via email as well as putting it on to um, our podcast. If you're not subscribed, disaradio.com. If you want to catch the episode on the go in a podcast, that's the place to do it. With that, I will let everyone go and have a productive rest of the week. I love it. All right. Thank you, Holly. Appreciate it so much. See you later. Yes, thank you. See you soon, Robbie. Bye-bye. Bye.